Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Simon Grayson, ex-Preston North End manager, who was manager between uh, 2013 and 2017. Currently at the moment, just uh, unemployed, looking for another job, but uh, trying to keep busy and doing different things. Thank you very much for, for coming on. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been a few weeks in, in the making, but we've got here. No worries. Yeah, before we before we get into it, one of my co-hosts of the podcast, Ollie, he absolutely adores you. So if you could just give Ollie a little shout out, it'd make his Ollie, absolute how you doing? world. Um, he'd love it. No worries. Oh, you're well, Ollie. Keep busy, mate. Keep safe. Yeah, he's, he's going to hate me for that. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously at the moment, there's quite a bit going on outside of football and this isn't to sort of not talk about the NHS staff because everything that they're doing, the key workers, the frontline workers is absolutely fantastic. But if I could just get your opinion on sort of where you see football going from this and whether or not you think this season can resume or how it can resume. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because obviously uh, there's more, such more important things at this moment in time apart from football. Um, I think over the last few weeks I've been talking about um, giving my viewpoint and opinion on what they should be doing with the football season. I think they should finish the season as whenever it is. I think even if it finishes in September time, they can make sure and amend the, the following season. They can start mm. it whenever they want. They can shorten it. When you are... Ninety percent finish, close to finishing the season. You might as well might as well try and find a way to finish it because if you don't, don't think you can make it null and void as they've done in Holland. I think also if you were to leave it as it is now, with in terms of the teams finishing in the playoffs, relegation, champions, and, and promotions, etc., you're going to have a lot of clubs that are going to be. In, in, in court cases, I would think. I think there'll be a lot of people suing um, certain authorities based on that what might have happened in certain situations and lost revenue. So yeah. I think they should try and play out football as um, whenever that is to be the case and however safe it is as possible. I do think that there will be some parts of the game we're going to be played behind closed doors. I'm pretty sure about that. Listen to what one or two people are saying. I'm not saying that I know anything inside information like that. But yeah, yeah. I think that there will be a, um, games behind closed doors of some description. How many, I don't know. But hopefully we can come through this very quickly. Yeah, no, yeah, um, I'm the same. I think it has to be finished somehow. Um, obviously, I'm talking quite selfishly from a North End point of view as well. You know, we're in sixth at the minute. We've got a chance to, to do something that we've never done before if we were to finish in the playoffs and potentially yeah. get to the Premier League. But I think, like you said, on, on the, on the, in the wider picture and, and the grand scheme of things, there's going to be potentially hundreds of clubs that could could be taking the FA or the uh, the different leagues or whatever to to court over, like you said, the the potential of lost revenue, which is is huge to clubs, obviously in this day and age. But I think I think you only have to see the outcry that's been going off in terms of the national league and, and below that, mm. the clubs that are close to get promotions, 
they're still not deciding what they're going to do. So imagine putting that on a bigger scale of of um, of the EFL and ultimately promotion to the champion uh, to the Premier League. Um, obviously, everybody knows I'm sort of big affiliation with Leeds United. The built wrong if they make the season null yeah, and void. Yeah. Team is that close to getting to the uh, to the Premier League as West Brom and, and potentially Fulham might think as well. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Thank you for that as well. So on to you. I think. First and foremost, you had a pretty decent playing career, didn't you? It was all right, yeah. I started of over 500 games, played uh, Premier League quite a bit, played at yeah. Wembley four or five times, uh, played in, got to the quarter-final of the equivalent of the Europa League when I was at Aston Villa. Yeah. So I think if somebody offered me, uh, at 16, you're going to play over 500 games and over I don't know, 150 maybe in the top in the top divisions and... Um, three three promotions, a League Cup winner's medal and a couple of Player of the Year awards at Leicester. And they're certainly taking that. So I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed my time um, as a player. Um, and obviously then I went on to do uh, to do something very similar but different in many different ways. Yeah. Um, so obviously your first managerial role came about at Blackpool, obviously. How was that sort of going from, from being a player to making that transition to a manager? Because you're only quite young as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was only uh, well, 34, 35. But what I'd been doing is I'd been playing in the first team and um, taking the reserves at the same time. So I was getting used to sort of dealing with the dressing room as uh, some teammates, mates, um, and then maybe talk, dealing with them in a reserve team situation and then yeah. going back to playing on Saturday. Um, and it was it was a good grounding for me, and ultimately as well, I got to the age of where I thought I was going to retire from football. I had an opportunity to go to another club as an assistant manager, and decided to speak to Colin Andrew, who was the manager at the time, mm-hmm. about going. And he he gave me his blessing. He just said you need to speak to Carl Oyston about it. So I went to see Carl, and Carl sort of declined the opportunity for me to leave. And obviously, I thought, asked him back why. He says, well, I'm just about to sack Colin and you're going to take over as caretaker. Jesus. Um, so it was, it was sort of, I wouldn't say it's forced upon me, but it, because it was something that I was always looking to eventually do in terms of what I, uh, as a manager. But I thought the probably natural progression would be go as a first-team coach like I was going to go to the assistant manager maybe and then see if I'd fitted in with being a manager because I never yeah. thought I wasn't sure whether I could be a manager or not. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'd ever realise that until you actually put into the... The hot seat. So I went from being a teammate to a lot of players um, one day um, to dropping them from the next game to co- consequently taking the job in December till the end of the season and then making decisions on letting players go. And ultimately, I had to make some ruthless decisions, but I knew that I had to do that if I wanted to be successful as a manager or, or give myself that best opportunity to be a manager. And uh, I did make them decisions. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I obviously thought when I first went into it, am I going to be suited for this role? Very quickly, I don't know, probably three or four games in, I felt that I was quite suited to being a manager. I think the best thing that I did was appoint Tony Parks as an assistant manager who'd been wealth experience at Blackburn while I was there playing and got to know him well. Um, and he was the one to guide me and help me because at 34, 35, as much as I thought I knew a lot about football after being in it for 20 years, um, it's completely different when you cross that line to be a coach and a manager. So then, obviously, you left Blackpool, moved to Leeds. Uh, how how did you feel about that? Because obviously, I think did you come through as a player at Leeds and then got let go? Yeah, I was um, look. I was the Leeds supporter growing up, and then um, uh, 
got taken on at, well, signed apprentices at um, um, Schoolboy Farms at 14 and my debut at 17. And back then, really, it was only two subs and I was in around the first team a lot without really getting opportunity. And then Leicester came in uh, and bought me and um, I went on to Leicester for to five years. So yeah. um, Leeds was a massive affiliation to myself. And when I was at Blackpool, we were in the Championship. And, and Leeds were in League One, but when Leeds United come knocking, as the the size of the club that it is anyway, but and then added to the fact that I supported them and, and played yeah. them, it was a good opportunity. And there was obviously a bit of problems that with me getting there, I had to resign. Blackpool were trying to take Le- uh, Leeds to a court case, which eventually got settled and uh, went on to enjoy over three years at Leeds and be quite successful. And then obviously you went went to Huddersfield. If I, if I remember correctly, I think both at Leeds and Huddersfield, you were you were let go, sort of with with both sides just outside the playoffs. Yeah, when I left Leeds, we were only three points off the playoffs, and I sort of had a bit of a disagreement with the chief, uh, not the chief exec, the technical director, who was Ken Bates, right hand man. I think that was always going to lead to maybe sort of after one bad result, maybe um, be difficult to for me to stay. Yeah. Then I went to Huddersfield, which was a bit of a surprise at the time because Lee Clark was doing well, but Dean Hall knew I was available and decided he wanted to take me there. Got promoted with a 22nd penalty <laughs> at Wembley. Yeah, um, Alex Smith is scored and Steve Simonson um, uh, missed his. I think the funny point about that is that in that summer, while I was at Huddersfield, Steve Simonson's agent rang me to see if I wanted to sign him and I thought there's no way that I can sign him everybody will think it's a conspiracy theory yeah. why he missed the penalty so I, so I left that one well and truly behind and yeah and we had probably we were doing well at Huddersfield the, 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 when you get promoted ultimately the main thing is to, to survive in the division and and we went on a, a run of maybe only three or four wins in 12 games or something like that but mm. we were probably 10 points clear of relegation where we all wanted to be so I think yeah both them sackings really were, were surprises to me when, when they came along and, and supporters as well. But you accept it and, and that's how football develops sometimes. Yeah, I suppose that, that's part and parcel of the game, isn't it? So the move the move to North End, how did that come about? Were you approached or did you apply? Did managers even apply for jobs? Or I, I don't really know. Uh, well, it's mix and match, really. Sort yeah. of, um, I didn't I didn't apply for the uh, for the Preston job basically I was either going to Dubai or I was in Dubai because it was only probably 10 days after I'd, I'd left Huddersfield I got the Huddersfield job from leaving Leeds sort of ten, 10 days later as well so I didn't have much time to to rest on and when leaving Leeds and Huddersfield but I, I was going to go away on holiday and, I, and Peter Ridsdale rang me said that we, we, we sacked um, Graham Wesley would you fancy coming to Preston? So I said, well, not until I've gone to Dubai for four or five days rest and, and yeah. recover. But I knew Peter from when I was a young pro at, at Leeds. He was on the board. Yeah. So I knew him. I'd, I'd kept in touch with him. So I knew exactly what how he was and what he was about. And we had conversations while I was away. Uh, I spoke to David Moyes while I was away just to get a feel about the club. Yeah. And then um, John Dre took the team against Bournemouth on the Saturday while I was away. And... Um, I organised through Peter to get Glyn Snodden, who was my, who was my assistant at Leeds and Huddersfield, yeah. to go and watch the game in a little bit incognito, a bit of sort of out the way, just to see what he what he thought. Because at the time, Preston were probably fifth, sixth from bottom, with yeah. a, a chance of relegation, but not one that was certainly anything guaranteed or anything like that. 
but beat Bournemouth, they were the league leaders, and, and Snob said, look, I think if we take this job, we've got a good opportunity to try and do something. It's a great club with history, tradition, there's a good fan base, which you think will get bigger and better, and there's some decent players that have mm. been underachieving or just not fulfilling the potential, and... Um, so once he told me that and I spoke to Peter again, then it was all like systems go, really. Yeah, yeah. So obviously moving to North End following Graham Wesley, what what exactly were you coming into in terms of the, the players that were there, the state that the club was in? Because um, I think it's well publicised that he was brought in to do a job, so to speak. Um, how did you find it coming in after him? Well, I th- I th- even while, obviously, when you're going into a new job, you do your research about things that are going on, what's happened, and, and my reading into things. And, and speaking to Peter as well about it, it was mm. it, the, it was felt and what I read was that there was a bit of a, um, no unity between the, 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 the management, maybe not so much the players, because the players go on and try their best, but there, was, there wasn't the unity the, and togetherness that the supporters and the manager needed for a club to be successful. And, and obviously Graham was different in his ways, and I think everybody will agree with that. And, um, and you go in and you just try and tr- put your own input onto a, onto a club as quickly as possible. And yeah. uh, I think what you get to remember as well, to be fair to Graham, was he brought some good players in. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. <coughs> excuse me, brought in the likes of Garns, John Welsh, Paul Huntington, and then other lads that were did well for us in League One, Keith Keane, Lee Holmes, David Buchanan. So I think Graham and Peter's recruitment was was quite good at that particular time. But what we needed to do, mean Snods, when we came in, was really get the the togetherness back amongst the the supporters and the playing staff again. Yeah. Um, so when when you first came in, you did actually did really well. I think you only lost three or four in the first like fourteen or fifteen games. What what did you do differently, or what did you change you and Snods between you to get more out of the players that Graham Wesley only managed to get? I think one or two wins from the previous, God knows how many. Well, I think it's it's a lot of managing your players and how you deal with them, understanding yeah. what what makes them tick. Do they need an arm round them? Do they kick up the backside? I think we we still maintained our same philosophies that we'd had in all our previous clubs that we wanted to make sure we were hard to beat. We we're organised, we we're disciplined, but ultimately then let the players go and try and express themselves and enjoy themselves as mm-hmm. well, and try and make the training ground a a far happier environment than maybe it had been previously, that we wanted the players to come into work, smile on the face, enjoy what they were doing, work hard, exactly exactly what we wanted, but in the meantime, have a bit of a laugh and a joke and then go home that you've felt that you've given everything on that particular day, you've enjoyed yourself, you can't wait to come back into work the following day. And, and ultimately, what we had to try and do was make sure that we did stay up, which which we certainly managed to do. And that obviously gives us a platform maybe to, to try and build for the, that summer a few more players and, and take it forward as a football club again. Yeah. So when, when you and Glenn came in, did you feel that you were sort of able to, to mould the squad how you, you two wanted that first summer? Yeah, well, I think given that I knew what, how Peter worked and his contacts and his involvement that he has in the sort of recruitment and transfer business and and, and he's, like I said these contacts of knowing people whether it's agents chief execs owners at other football clubs it's always going to be hopefully give you a better opportunity to to bring in players but ultimately as well I'd have I'd got to know Mr Emmins quite well and knew that he was desperate for the club to to move forward again and he was going to give us a bit of financial backing to do it 
And then it was down to us really to try and get the right group of players. We felt yeah. that there was a numerous of a group of players that were, were certainly talented and, and could do something. But obviously we knew we had to sort of add a few players to that that were going to take us to another level. And I think it's something that me and Peter, certainly from an early stage, that we always agreed on that every transfer window that we were involved in, we had to try and make the squad better, whether it was one, two signings or four or five, six yeah. signings. Make sure you keep improving, striving forward, and not standing still because you won't keep you won't keep improving and testing the the current group of players that you had there. And, and that's what we went and did in that summer. We we went for quality players, yeah, good characters, one or two that I knew about as well, and lads that were hungry to maybe prove the clubs that they've been at previously that they're ready for to be successful again, but yeah. maybe to themselves to say right. I've not had a great spell at my previous club and I'm, I'm a free transfer or whatever. I'm going to go and um, do myself justice again. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, talking about bringing in players that that you knew about and had the right character, Tom Clark was your first signing, I think. He'll have been one of the first, yeah. Yeah, I think I think he was the first. Yeah. Um, did he tick a lot of boxes in terms of you knew what he would bring to the club both on and off the pitch? Yeah, definitely. Um, I knew, first and foremost, what he was like as a lad, because I'd worked with him at Huddersfield. Yeah. Um, a good character. Didn't To be fair, I was having this conversation with Tom the other day. When I was at Huddersfield, we'd gone to the Championship, and Tom wasn't really, I didn't think, ready for the Championship to play regularly. So I was I said to him, look, I've got an opportunity for you to go to other clubs. What do you want to do? And he said, no, I want to stay in stay at Huddersfield, because it was his, more or less his hometown team as well. yeah. yeah. <clears throat> And he, he he wanted to sort of prove me wrong, and obviously I left, and both never hold, held a grudge because ultimately I wanted to sign him, and, and he wanted to come and play for me. So that was the type that we wanted: real winners, desire, and lads that were going to take the football club back up the pyramids of of where we all wanted it to get to again. Yeah. So again, sticking sort of to the topic of Tom Clark, um, pretty early on in your time was the was the Blackpool game. Where were you when you found out about the draw? Because obviously for you, it's not just I'm the Preston manager, it's a massive game between Preston and Blackpool. You've obviously got the connections to Blackpool as a player and a manager as well. So like, where, where were you when you found out and how did you feel and how did you react? Oh, I, won't, I won't remember where I was. I might have been on holiday somewhere because yeah. I met the draw obviously in the summer and um, it's, it's the second game of the season, isn't it? Yeah. You play the first game. And then it's quickly into the League Cup on the, in the midweek. Um, but obviously, knowing full well what it was like to manage Blackpool against Preston um, uh, before, knew how much it was going to mean to everybody. And, and we were obviously, uh, Preston were in League One club, Blackpool were a championship club. So there's a lot riding on the game. And uh, for Tom to go and score so late on in the game and score your first goal and your second game for Preston North End, doesn't really get much better, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. It does, yeah. um, but it's uh, it's certainly endeared him to the supporters very quickly, and uh, it was a great night for everybody connected with Preston because we, we all know the manager. Whether you manage the team, uh, playing the team, support the team, you all know that what a local derby means to everybody. Yeah. So how how did you go about getting the players ready for the game? Um, did you have to sort of explain the importance of it to them, or was it? Just one of them that with the fans and how everything was, I presume, with social media. Did did they just sort of get it and, and it was up to you then to sort of prepare the football side of things? 
Yeah, well, it came, obviously, as we said, very quickly into the season. So, really, you hadn't drawn breath from the Saturday's first league game where every, there's an amount of excitement around the place to then getting ready for a, for a local derby and a cup tie on the Tuesday night. So, I think it was very much sort of get the league game and the first game of the season out of the way and then start again on the Monday, the hype of it all. And, like, I'm sure if, if Preston lads have been walking around the city centre Days leading up to the to the um, even the first game of the season, people might not have talked about the first game of the season. They might have talked about the game on the Tuesday, yeah. reminded the lads or hinted to the lads what they actually what it meant to them. So, so they kind of they were they were they were well aware then. I yeah, I think because of the build up and the interviews that they have, and, and look, I, me being involved in them knew exactly what it was all about, yeah. and it was part. Being taught that when you're in a local derby match, that you want to be the ones that have the bragging rights. But also, we wanted to get off to a good start in the season as well. We wanted to to win another game very quickly and yeah. try and get momentum going for a successful season. So it had a, a double edge to it, really. Yeah, the the video of you celebrating when when Tom puts us <laughs> one up is just it's brilliant. I think you turn around to the fans and you you're giving it the double fist bump. I, I presume that at that point you were just completely swept away. It's always been very difficult when you've managed other clubs and then you're playing against them, but it's who you're managing at that particular time. And obviously yeah. you try and be respectable as, as you can be and I don't ever want to rub salt in the wounds of any other club that I've gone back to as a manager previously to, to get a result or whatever. I probably got caught up in the moment of the hysterical moment of scoring. One, scoring so late in the, in the game. Yeah. To, to win a game against the championship club, that was probably my first uh, chain of thought that we're going to actually get a fantastic result there. And then probably the emotions of, of it being a derby match that um, that played come secondary, really. It was more about the actually winning of the match. I've done it at other times where I scored against probably Leeds, my teams, and I've celebrated probably not as much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it, you do, you, you, whoever you work for, that is your that is what you have to do and that is yeah. where you are 100% committed to it. And whenever I've managed teams that I've managed in the past, whoever I'm working for, I want to win the game. I want to, as I said there, if I'm managing against Leeds, I want to beat them every week. I want to yeah. beat them if I'm, if I'm from playing against them or Huddersfield or, or anybody else that I've managed in the mm-hmm. past because it's my job and it's, it's a job of, of the employees who I'm working for. Yeah, that's your priority, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So bringing Paul Gallagher in on loan that that season, how how big do you think that was to bring him in, and and how did it come about the deal? Because obviously he was at Leicester. I, I presume there would have been a gap in terms of the the money that he was on at Leicester compared to what we yeah. could maybe offer the loan. So how, how did it all come about? And yeah, well, obviously we. Were, I think back then you could sign players. More or less right the way through the season. Wasn't yeah, I like think now. it was November time. I think he joined. Yeah, so and you probably couldn't sign somebody after March time, whereas obviously yeah. now we all know summer and the winter months. So you're always constantly looking to people, look speaking to agents and and seeing what you can do to improve the clubs. And one minute mm-hmm. you might get um, think about a player, he's not available. But then you might think a few months, a few weeks later, you might make the same call, and suddenly it, it's, he's available. And I knew Galley from when he was sort of a young pro coming through at Blackburn when I was sort of um, um, just how old was I? Probably thirty, thirty-one. So played with Galley a few times, but obviously kept an eye on his career and knew that he was he's not playing much at Leicester. 
could we go and do it? And um, I think Sven Goran Eriksson was the manager at the time. Yeah. Um, and between, obviously, I had some connections at Leicester with the people working there that between me and Peter, we managed to broker a deal to get Gally, who was on good wages from Blackburn, uh, sorry, from Leicester in the Championship to where we were in League One. And yeah. uh, I think it suited Gally as well because it was. He was going to come and play football. He was living locally still, not far from Preston. Yeah. Um, so it ticked a lot of boxes for him, really. On, just on another signing as well, I don't know if he came that summer or the summer after, but the Alan Brown deal, was that was that actually a recommendation from Trevor Hemmings? Uh, yeah, yeah, it probably was. Trevor's obviously um, got a lot of connections in Ireland. And, yeah. Um, and he, one of his sources over there said to myself and Peter, there's this young kid that may be worth a watch. Um, and we had somebody go and watch him. And around he was 16, 17, maybe yeah, 18 at the time. Lad. He was only young. And he came over for a few days training with us. And I said, look, this kid's got something. Let's, let's try and do a deal. And obviously we paid small, small figure for him. Um, but he just had something. He could run all day. He was quite yeah. gangly. Like raw, obviously, because coming from Cork, not played a lot of first-team football. We had a hunger and a desire to to get round the pitch. He, he loved the tackle, wasn't the greatest on the ball uh, at the time, but a lot of his qualities outweighed his um, his deficiencies as such. But yeah. what he did do, he had a work ethic by wanting to improve um, the things that he needed to improve on, mm-hmm. and hence why he's had such a fantastic career for for Preston North End at its morning time. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think between. Trevor recommended him and, and us seeing him and doing uh, what we did on the training pitch with him. Uh, it played a part in, in bringing Brownie over and um, signing him permanently. Yeah, I had Jack King on and he he said about Alan coming in. He said in training you you could you could see that he had something. He said like it maybe in terms of his performances and training maybe they'd not always be the best that you you'd expect. But he said you you think he's a young kid. He's eighteen. This is probably his first exposure to that sort of level of football, but he said there was just little things in training that you could, you could just tell he, he had something. Yeah, as I said, his, his main um, ingredient and best quality he had that he was, was his work rate and attitude mm. that he, he wanted to grasp an opportunity to become a professional footballer. Yeah, and uh, and he did that, and he worked extremely hard, as you mentioned there on his on his on his all round game to improve and. At 18, he wasn't phased by making a tackle on Galley or any of the other senior pros. He yeah. got in amongst it. Yeah, it might have been a bit quiet off the pitch because you do. You're away from home, away from your family, time to settle in. But I think he actually probably ended up living with Jack or or, um, or next to Jack. In, in yeah, I think, I think he moved in with Jack and a couple of others. I think Bailey Wright as well. I can't remember. <clears throat> but yeah, so that, that obviously, that season we, we got into the playoffs. Um, Joe Garner's goal. Just, just talk me through it from your point of view. Um, well, I, I, I think it's Tom Clark played it up to him, and and I just remember seeing it at the back of the net and going, "Wow, what a goal that is!" By the way, yeah. And then yeah. you don't realise until probably you watch it later on, and you keep watching it even now. At times, you see it come up on the telly that the level of difficulty and the execution of the quality and the technical ability that he showed. To, to actually do, to score the goal, to take the touch, flick it over somebody's head and then hit the target and put it in the back of the net was, was one hell of a goal. Normally, yeah. Gant would try that and he wouldn't score him that, that too, uh, too often, to be fair. Um, yeah. 
it was it was a goal that was probably worthy of winning every any game possible. But it was uh, got a lot of rewards come the end of the season for goal of the season, not just at Preston, but um, I think in the EFL as well. Yeah, I think it did. Obviously, the over the two legs it ended in disappointment against Rotherham. I think we hit the post twice in the second leg. I think we had a couple of other half decent half chances as well. Do you think we were in the end a little bit unlucky and Rotherham deserved to go through, or do you maybe look back um, at it I and think, think, you know, maybe change one or two things here and there, and could have could have had a different? Rotherham were always a strong team; they were quite powerful and sort of played quite direct, um, and you knew you had to compete against them. And and you do when you come into two-legged semi-finals to try and get to a, a Wembley appearance. You've got to make sure that you do whatever you can in terms of your preparation, your organisation, um, get the players to be relaxed as much as it can be, as well as having an edge to them. But yeah. then, as you said there, you want, you'd still need a little bit of luck to, to go your way at times. And, and we probably didn't get that, um, that luck where you said we've hit the post. Um, but what it was for us as well, though, it was a motivation to within the dressing room after that second leg at, um, at Rotherham was to... We don't want to feel like this again. We don't want to be the ones that are um, seeing the opposition celebrating on their own pitches and us feeling the disappointment. We want to go one step further next year. Let's do whatever we have to do over the summer, whether it's my job in terms of the recruitment and the staff or you as players to go away pre-season, oh, sorry, away in the off-season and be ready for a pre-season as fit and strong, as hungry as you can do to be part of something that we do genuinely believe we can go and achieve. Yeah, because I think when when pre-season started up that, that following season, I think it was quite publicly talked about that promotion was the aim. I suppose, like you've just said, the, the Rotherham defeat was, was a motivation. I suppose you didn't have much to do in terms of motivation and getting the players ready for the season after. No, no, definitely. So that that season had quite a few sort of big moments to it. And I think one of one of those was bringing Jermaine Beckford in. How, how did that come about in terms of, I think, were Bolton in the championship at the time? Yeah, yeah. Struggling. Yeah. And to bring someone like Jermaine Beckford in, A, from a championship club, but B, to bring him to local rivals like how, how did all that come about or do you think your your relationship with Jermaine helped um well it, the first and foremost how it started was a rung Neil Lennon who was the manager at the time who was mixed teammate from Leicester playing days and asked him about another player to be fair yeah and he says no you, he's, you can't have him he's not available he says but you can you can take Beckford off my hands if you want and, I, and at first I thought he was joking and I said I, like, I said you've been serious or you're messing around he went no no He's just not for me, and that's that's how Jermaine was with with certain people. He, yeah. Some people he got on with, some people he didn't. Some people he performed for, some people he didn't. And I I jumped at the opportunity. I said, right, I will. If you're seen is available, I will try and, and people at my football club agreed to this deal. I'll try and get this done asap because mm-hmm. I knew exactly what I was getting from a league stage. I Jermaine at Huddersfield. I knew what made him tick. He knew what made me tick and, and we just obviously had that sort of um, relationship where we trusted each other and, and hopefully we, and it was going to be great to work together again. So I spoke to Peter straight away. He was really excited about the opportunity. It wasn't a cheap deal because he was championship money. So he yeah. didn't have to push the boat out a little bit. Uh, Mr Emmons was very good in terms of the um, backing of us to the green light to go and sign him. And 
And then you've got Jermaine coming to the team from the Championship. And I think also throughout that season as well, we added some other real good, young, hungry players who were really eating the ground and doing really well. DJ was one. People yeah. didn't know too much about him. We, I knew how he'd done at Chesterfield. I knew how well he was doing at Oldham. And it was felt that he was going to be perfect for us. So as the song goes, everybody knows that we signed him for 50 grand and it was... Yeah. Uh, Nice bit of business. Callum Robinson was another one that came in, in that, that throughout that season as well that we'd, I'd watched and under 23s football. And we knew, I knew we were building, sort of adding to the group um, like a sport previously. Me and Peter wanted to try and keep improving it as often as we could do yeah. with better players. Not just the same type of players, but better players, better qualities, better types. And, and all these lads were going to help contribute come, uh, come the latter reaches of the season and beyond. Yeah, just on DJ, obviously when people talk about that season, people talk about Joe Garner, Jermaine Beckford, um, maybe John Welsh. Do you think do you think DJ was a little bit underrated by some some people, some fans maybe, uh, in terms of his contribution? I, th- I think I think the, I don't think the, he will have been um, understated in, in his performance. I just think some of the other ones actually did some things that are more the bigger picture of it all. When you yeah, talk yeah. about Jermaine, you've got something like 12 goals in 15 games or something yeah. like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But DJ must have scored seven, eight, nine goals in in a short period of time. Yeah, and he well. hit the ground running pretty yeah. pretty quickly, didn't he? It was just because other people had done so much, a little bit more than him, but maybe people didn't realise what a yeah. great start to his Preston North End career that he had because he certainly did. He scored some... Fantastic goals. He, he, he even now is, and but back then he was one of the quickest runners of a ball at his feet that I'd seen. He glided across the pitch, and people couldn't get away from him. And then he'd have the composure to side foot things in the bottom corner. And, and when yeah. when players were getting on a roll of scoring goals, the confidence was really high, and they would try and do things that maybe they wouldn't have done when the confidence wasn't as high. And DJ certainly hit the ground running and played a massive part in what we we're doing. So, how how important do you think Joe Garner was to to the run that we went on that season, and obviously what culminated in the in the Wembley win? Hey, look, I think everybody knew how Garns was and knew what he was like as a player. Um, but I, th- I just thought, I just think that the him and Jermaine were a perfect combination. Jermaine always preferred working with somebody who was the more physical type, aerially a little bit better than him, would put himself around. But he would then use his strengths of his pace running in behind, his alertness in around the box, his, his um, uh, audacity to try things that other strikers wouldn't do. And they had a, they had a real good balance. They understood at where one was going to run and where, yeah. where the other one would have to go. They worked, they worked so well together. Uh, Jermaine had uh, Becky at, um, at Leeds that was worked. It was that similar type. James Vaughan at Huddersfield as well was a similar sort of, not battering ram, but sort of somebody to take the physical presence off, yeah. off him and he would uh, enjoy the other side of the game. And I think they did, they, they contributed um, and combined really well. So, um, I think it was 18, 17 or 18 games unbeaten heading into, obviously, the last last game against Colchester. What what do you think went wrong on the day? Um, obviously, we ended up ended up losing. I know they had something to play for as well. I think a win kept them up as well. So it wasn't just as yeah. simple as we're going to go and play a team that's relegated. But looking back, what do you think went went wrong? Anyway, I just think we probably 
the players got caught up in the emotion of the probably the day, really, and maybe mm. thinking one step ahead of themselves. We were confident because we hadn't lost in 17, 18 games. I know we had a difficult January and then we went to Sheffield United and got a good result in the Cup and that really catapulted us to, for the rest of the season. Full credit to Bristol City, who, who certainly deserve to be champions. And, and MK Dons just kept, on our, kept yeah. on our tail all the time. We couldn't just shake them off at any time. We, we would win and they would win. And maybe if we would draw, they would draw. It was sort of... It was it was so tight, and we went in there with confidence, as you would do when you're on that sort of good run. Mm. But ultimately, we weren't over complacent or overconfident. We knew we still had a job to do. They probably just played better on the day and handled the day better than us, really. Yeah. Um, and you get days like that. We we chased the game late on, and it didn't, the went the players went away from. The, probably the game plan that we wanted to do and what we'd done for the 17, 18 games before. So it was just one of them experiences that when something goes wrong a day, on a day, um, you've just got to accept it to a certain degree. I think they're also in the mindset of the players, knowing at half-time it was nil-nil and MK Dons were 3-nil up or something like that, that maybe the pressure then told on the players a little bit yeah. and we didn't couldn't get that goal that we were desperate for. Yeah, so obviously... Going from that, it's two legs over. Well, it's it's a game over two two. Let me start that again. It's a game. We're we're facing Chesterfield over two legs in in the semis, and I know we've 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 covered it a bit for for a written piece. But what what are your overriding memories from from each leg of, of the semi finals against Chesterfield? Yeah, uh, well, obviously the disappointment after the the Colchester game. We had to make sure that we were focused and, and ready to go again. We had to make sure that uh, I think it's quite common now that people know that I spoke to the players on the bus on the way back to the airport, stressed to the players that we had um, a second opportunity. We could have finished seventh on the last game of the season and that was us done. We had a second opportunity. So let's go grasp that opportunity and kept on reiterating to the players that the best way to get promoted is to win at Wembley. So give them the Monday off and then we went to work on the Tuesday, Wednesday, knowing that Chesterfield were a good team, some real talented players. A lot of that group have gone on to play regularly in the Championship and some players in the Premier League. So we knew what we had to do, but we just knew that and sensed on the Tuesday morning when we went back into work, there was a real hunger and desire amongst the group. Not once did they speak about what had happened. It was all about what we were going to do in the future. There was a real desire to to prove one or two people wrong, that we weren't a group that were prepared to to um, accept criticism lightly and want to prove one or two people wrong. And there was a steely determination that right from that first whistle that we weren't going to get beat that day. We'd have taken a nil-nil without a shadow of doubt, give ourselves that opportunity at deep hill in the second leg. Got the early goal, which was a big part in it as well. And then you could just see a lot more, some confidence in the group, but that's still that desire that... We chased, we worked, we tackled and put the bodies on the line. Not just defenders or midfield players like Welshie, etc. Even the wide players, the two strikers chasing around, putting everybody under pressure and coming off that pitch with a real, keep using that word, desire and hunger to, yeah. to be successful and give ourselves that opportunity to get to Wembley. Obviously, we, we ended up getting to Wembley. Um, and again, I know we've we've covered it for the, for the written piece, but... Just, just try and sum that day up from from your point of view, from from getting up in the morning to going to bed at whatever time it was, whether it was that night or the day after. <laughs> just, 
try just yeah, just try and sum that up from from your point of view. I think in terms of the whole day, I was pretty relaxed about the situation. Still, I'm what say I wasn't nervous because you, when you're going into any match, you 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 wonder how the day is going to go. Are you going to have a bit of luck? Are, you, are the players going to be able to carry out your instructions and the game plan that you were we've worked on for ten days? We'd had ten days real good training ready for for this game um, from doing all the stuff at Deepdale on, on the same size of the pitch to going down to the same routine that I'd had when I was at Blackpool and when I was at um, Huddersfield going down a few days before, sampling Wembley and and all the build-up is exactly the same. So I, I my Saturday, I think was it, was it a Saturday of the game? I can't remember, or Sunday? Uh, no, it was a Sunday. Right, Sunday, yeah. It was Leeds so, on the Saturday, us on the Sunday, and then right. the Championship yeah, on so the Monday. Yeah, so we went, like I did for the two previous games, we went to the uh, to watch the first half of the League Two game because I wanted the players to sample the atmosphere at Wembley, so they weren't overawed when they got there. So um, so we got back, pre did our usual preparation on a night before a game. And me and my staff, as we did, probably have a couple of drinks, nothing too too daft. Just, um, just got hand a little bit. Yeah, just sit sit around the table, relax, have a chat, have a, have a chat about a few things, have a laugh and a joke. Um, up at eight o'clock, breakfast round uh, in the in the restaurant players were the same that they every time we were on overnight trips, the players had to be up by half past nine. So then, pre match for the players, no, sorry, they have a pre match walk, which I never went on. I never go on the walks. I leave my other staff to do that. They can then speak to players or whatever they want to do, and then they have the pre match, and then uh, we work out the timings of what time we're leaving. We had a a brief team meeting, nothing too much because we we'd done all our preparation. Yeah, and then you get on the bus, and it's all about sort of excitement. You see the the fans around, you see the flags, the scarves, and I think once the players see Wembley and um, Wembley Way and and uh, all the supporters, it really hits home that you it's it's there now for the players. Yeah. And I try to draw on all my experiences as a player because I played there three or four t- four times. Um, but obviously from a two managing c- campaigns as well to to make sure the players were relaxed enough but still had an edge to them. Yeah. But I could, again, on the bus, we put on this motivational DVD for, of what had happened all throughout the season as well and the good clips and all the tackles and everything. And I think that really got the players even more focused on what we needed to do. And then it was all about a normal match day preparation. Yeah. Um, players going out, you do your usual stuff. I think the last words that I've always said in the big games to all the players was, let's make sure you have no regrets. If we if we win, lose or draw, come off that pitch making sure that you don't wake up the next day thinking, I wish I'd done this better, I wish I'd done that, because then you do have regrets. And mm. I was confident, I could sense the players were focused in what we were doing and now it was all about what we're going to do and, and try and get the result. Um, what happened with Callum Robinson going back to Villa? Because... Obviously, he never never got to play in uh, at Wembley. I think did he go back before the Chesterfield games as well? Um, I th- yeah, to be fair, I can't really remember about that. To be fair, um, probably the season finished and maybe wasn't involved with us for some reason. I'm not, honestly, I cannot remember for some reason. I thought that Callum was in amongst all the celebrations, but maybe wasn't. Then, I, I, honestly, I can't remember that. It wasn't as if he fell out or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Because it was obviously I signed him again after that. Well, yeah, time. exactly. Um, so it was maybe that he wasn't. He knew maybe he wasn't going to be in the eighteen or something like that. And um, 
between us and Villa, we agreed that it'd be best for him. Or maybe he was playing for England a week later or something like that. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't understand. Fair enough. Yeah, I think it's. I think that playoff campaign is is the most successful in recent times, if not the most successful ever, with an aggregate score of eight nil. Um, is that something that you look back on with quite a bit of pride? Uh, yeah, of course you do. When uh, when you don't concede a goal in a playoff um, semi-finals and and the final, it gives you great credit. But it's it was a testament to the players that they refocused straight after the Colchester result. They had a steely determination to be kept on mention and how how they carried out the instructions and the game plan how we wanted to play, especially at Wembley. Mm. Once we got to the there were two there were different games. The semi finals against Chesterfield was complete completely different type of game to how it was going to be against Swindon. We I, I would think if you went back on the records that you wouldn't I would be very surprised if a team has had sixty odd percent possession and lost the game four 0 in the final. That doesn't yeah. normally happen. But we we knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, that they would have bought the ball in certain areas. We'd have to press them in the middle of the pitch, and we'd cost had opened up so much that so we'd have space to hit them on the counter attack with Jermaine and, and the midfield runners and uh, and Joe Garner up front as well. And, and when you talk about a sort of a little bit of luck and how things of your preparation, everything went to plan, even to the point of I knew that one of the Thompson brothers was was not 100% fit because he'd come off in the semi-final with an hamstring. And I thought, there's no way that he's fit. So I said to one of the players, whoever's on that side, stick it over the top of him in the first five minutes or so, ten minutes, yeah. and let's see if he wants a foot race and see if his hamstring is up to uh, to speed. Anyway, somebody plays it over the top and Jermaine chases him. And um, his hamstring goes, which was no surprise to us. But it yeah. was... Just probably how we how the day was going to go for us. Everything that we wanted to happen or thought might happen did happen. Yeah. Do you think it's little things like that, little little bits in your preparation that that go the the furthest way as well? Yeah. Well, people don't see all the work that you do behind the scenes. And, and as I said before, the ten days that we had leading into the game, it was all about. It wasn't every day that we're doing eleven and size how Swindon were going to play. Um, but it was a lot of it was right. This is where we're going to do this in a certain area of the pitch. This is what we need to do in other areas. And every every player took on board. I named my team really early in the week because yeah. I wanted to nail it down. What we're going to do, how we're going to play, to give us that best opportunity of, of winning that final. And I always remember one of the lads from Sky telling me that. We turned up in our suits, Swindon turned up in their tracksuits, rolled up to the knees with the headphones on, and yeah. he said, you lot, you lot looked like you were there to work, professional outfit, they looked like they were just there for the day out and see where it would take them, and yeah. I suppose that was maybe from my experience of what had happened in the past years by being there at times, maybe helped as well, but it was things that, again, that people don't realise what you do behind the scenes when you go into these big games. Mm. So that, that squad... That group of players, where does that rank in terms of sides that you've gotten promoted? I would say in terms of the actual spirit of the group, the togetherness is is got to be one of the closest knit groups of lads that I've worked with. And in terms of the talent as well, talent as well, there was, there was some real good talented players. I think yeah. I think the group that we eventually got into the championship, I would say, is the most talented group of players that I've worked with. But the group that we had to get us promoted did what exactly what we had to do, and that was get out of League One. And then goes back to what we spoke about. You have to make tough decisions. You move people on. You bring new players in to, 
to get you into another level, which was going to be the championship. And, uh, and again, that had to be our recruitment well, but there were, there were a great group of lads to work with. You mentioned Scott Laird and Buchanan wasn't even in the, in the 18 and he was, David, I loved him to bits because he was, he was cheering everybody on as if, if it's if, as if he was captain of the, on the day yeah. and people like Rick Humphries had been left out from the semi-final or the last game of the season at Colchester I was on the bench but they're all just part and cheering everybody on and all together and yeah. one person probably sums it up Jordan Hugel was celebrating like he'd scored <laughs> the Africa he never even kicked the ball so uh, <laughs> and that, was, that was together that he had, and he actually had stitches based on his medal that uh, uh, went yeah, he caught his eye open, open that, didn't he? Yeah, they got an injury without kicking a ball, which must be a bit of a record as well. <laughs> so, obviously, moving up to the Championship, did you have an idea in mind of, of who you wanted to keep in the squad and areas that you could improve, or was that sort of was that something that you did after the promotion? No, I think it was because of, because the playoffs, obviously, the back end of May and you're back more or less four or five weeks later, we had to make sure that we, we were still as prepared as possible for yeah. whatever eventuality. So we, in terms of recruitment, we've been recruiting for two scenarios, for League One again, um, or, or hopefully into the Championship. So we had plenty of lists. Right. Lists would be determined who we're going to keep. If we'd not got promoted, lads who got released would have probably would have kept on. But we, we felt that when we got promoted, we had to move to a different level, give them, and be fair to the other lads, by not keeping on for the sake of it, let them go on and have their careers, not just be squad players um, yeah. and play God game or maybe not play hardly at all. But, so we were certainly working on the two different scenarios and um, plenty of our recruitment had been done without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Um, so that, that January then, you brought in Ben Pearson and Liam Grimshaw from Manchester United. This is a bit of a two-part question. The first part is, was that kind of like a two-for-one deal or was it you, you scouted them both and thought, yeah, I'll bring them both in? And the the second part is, how did you find Ben Pearson? I mean, arguably, <laughs> he's, he's one of, if not the best six in the championship at, at the moment. Yeah, I think, well, in terms of the first part of the question, I, I knew I'd watched them both play um, at Manchester 23s, but also Ben had been at Barnsley the previous season as well. So when, when, what we tried to do with our recruitment was we were very, I can't, you can't do it all the time, but if players can go have a, a loan before they come to you, it'll st- I think they understand what it means a lot more when they're coming back, when they come in the first place. They understand from dropping from a big Premier League club, whether it's DJ, Aston Villa, who'd gone to Chesterfield and Oldham, they knew what it was like to go and out, be out on loan or per, sign permanently. So we'd watched Ben, we knew that he could cover the ground, he'd love to tackle, could handle the ball, and he'd have a period of time, six months at Barnsley anyway. So um, they were all the. the the starting points for us in terms of what we thought and then to get the deal done you obviously need the owner to back you which he certainly did and it was yeah it's down to a lot of people that you, you managed to get these deals done and yeah. we just felt it, when Liam got thrown into the mix as well that he was available I thought well I know a lot about him he's a utility player can go and play right back he can play centre midfield he's a, he is a good lad he's a, fits into with the group it, it was a bit unfortunate. He probably didn't hit the ground running like Ben did, and mm. and Liam now is having a successful career up in in Motherwell, yeah, in the league in Scotland. So, 
Um, some some deals work out, some t- sometimes they don't. But um, I do genuinely believe that Ben Pearson is is going to be or could be a Premier League player. Obviously, with Preston, if not, he, he should be a, a Premier League player because he he does things that other players can't do. There's certain mm. things that he needs to make sure that he um, does better. I think his discipline record is not the greatest. When to to make a tackle and when not to, when to keep your mouth shut and when uh, when to express an opinion with the referee. So I think there's things that he needs to work on to get into that level, but he, uh, he's he got a lot of ingredients to suggest he can be a Premier League player. And I think people don't obviously realise as well that he's a better player than he sometimes makes out. His, his range of passing is actually better yeah. than, than he shows on a match day. I, I compare him to what David Batty was like. I played with Bats when I was at Leeds and... He would hit 50, 60-yard balls all day in training on yeah. a sixpence. But Ben Pearson's the same, but don't probably do that much in the games because they think they want to keep stick to their what they're, good, what they're known for doing. And that's yeah, yeah. winning it simple, running from midfield with the ball or doing whatever. But there is a lot, I think there's a bit more to Ben's game than, than he's actually showing more times. There's there's one that sticks out for me from this season that I think a lot of other people maybe took note of uh, more than they usually would, and it was the nil nil away at Cardiff when I think Ben got it just in just inside our own half on the left hand side, and the ball that he pinged over the top to Sean Maguire. I mean, Sean has got a, a decent chance to to score. I think he put it just wide of the far post, but that pass from Ben was just unbelievable, and I think that. That for me sticks in my mind, and I think that's maybe when a few people thought actually he's got he's got more strings to his bow than just being good on the ball and being a, a big tackler. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Callum Robinson. Then, obviously, we we touched on him just before. He ended up going to Bristol City on loan that that summer, uh, and then came back in the win, winter. What what happened there? Did we did we go in for him in the summer, and, and he chose to go to Bristol City? Yeah, it, it, yeah, we went back in for him in that summer, um, and I think he just fancied something different. That's yeah. what he said. He, no disrespect to the club, to myself and the teammates. He just felt that he wanted to to maybe go and try something different. I think yeah. he maybe knew somebody else down at Bristol as well uh, that he knew. But I did say to him as well at the time. I said, "You do realise that Bristol City play three five two, and you you're playing at this moment in time." as a wide player for us, I'm not sure where you'll fit into that team. And, and like I tried to just be honest with him, saying you're going to get more game time with us. But he obviously backed his judgment that he would go there. And unfortunately, what I told him <laughs> turned out to be the truth. Yeah. He never, he never um, played that often. But I had all grudges against players and and we didn't see it as, um, as, as something that um, would hold against him as well. So when he... When I knew he was going back, I had a good relationship with Aston Villa and I knew his agent well. So said, look, why didn't he come back here? And um, hence we got the deal done and uh, I suppose it's all uh, part of his development and learning of, of what he does like as a lad. And as a yeah. player. But uh, great lad to work with. And I loved, I wanted to sign him back because of his sheer enthusiasm, his quality, good lad around the place. He just epitomises what we would creating at that that moment in time with yeah. a young, a good, young, talented, hungry squad. Yeah, I remember. Re- with experienced players as well. Coupled with what, sorry? Uh, so, experienced players as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So in, in the championship then, in your time at North End, do you feel like you were you were properly backed in, in transfer windows? Um, or do you maybe look back and think could have the club could have taken a chance on X, Y or Z player for you? Or? Um, I think I, I knew where we were as a football club. I yeah. knew where I was in the other clubs that I was working at as well when I'd got promotions and gone into the championship. I knew that... As a football club, we weren't going to go and spend a million pound plus on players because it wasn't our way of doing it. Yeah. We had a model that we all knew that was about getting young, hungry players, developing them, working with them on the training pitch that we, we knew we were good at between me, Tomo and, and Glenn Snodding, that we would coach them and make them better and go out and try and get them gems. And we we knew that it worked previously, getting mm. your DJs and Callums and, and uh, Alan Browns and people like that that... We knew that we could um, we could go and spot a player, but also we knew we could develop it as well. So um, any manager will tell you that they like more money without a shadow yeah. of doubt. But you also have a sense of reality, you knowing what you've got to spend and what where you are as a football club. Yeah. And, and obviously the first season and, and the second season as well that we finished 11th on the, with a budget in the in the bottom three, and that, and that yeah. just that shows you. What we had again, the spirit and and the organisation and the the group that we had together played a massive part in all that success. Just because players were coming in on loan, obviously we made some good loan signings with Jordan Pickford and others. But you were bringing in, we were bringing in players as well that had a point to prove. Greg Cunningham came in on a free transfer from Bristol City and wanted to prove that he was a good player and a Championship player, and yeah. and other players along the way as well were. were had that edge to them. We we obviously signed Jermaine on a permanent basis, and and there was those deals that probably didn't work out at the time as well. But you, as I said earlier, you don't get every every deal right. But yeah. um, we were sticking to the model that we'd had for previously for a few years that had worked for us. Mm-hmm. How did how did the move for Aidan McGeady come about? Obviously, it was I think was it deadline day. It was it was it was a strange day really that sort of. I was having a charity day in uh, in York on a, on a Wednesday on our day off. Check, the deadline day must have been that Wednesday, and, and um, I said I was doing them a charity golf day. And um, and a few days before, I think we'd done all our deals. We'd, we'd said that we weren't really bothered too much about doing anything else. And it was probably the Monday, Tuesday that I got a call from an agent saying, "Look, would you fancy Aidan McGee?" I said, "Look." I'm not sure we've, we're going to do anything. And the agent said, well, look, we, the, the likelihood is that we um, we might not get him out of Everton until the very last hour of the window because Everton were quite being quite stubborn that Geats was obviously on a lot of money. Nobody was really wanting to pay too much of his wages and we were certainly falling into that bracket. Yeah. And I remember... I, clearly that I was doing the speeches for my golf day and my phone rang and I looked at, eventually I looked and I'm three missed calls off Peter in the space of like two minutes, I thought. So I had to stop my speeches. I said, look, I've got to take this call. It's, it's um, Peter Ridsdale. So I went out and he said, look, Everton have been on. Do you, do you want, are you definite you wanted to do McGeady? I said, well, if you can do the deal financially all day long, let's do this because he will give us something that we haven't maybe got within the yeah. group. And um, and we got it done. And I know he's. He was. I've said this many times. I knew he was a talented player because you don't have a career at Celtic and uh, Moscow and Everton earn the money that he's and done the deals that he's done in the past. 
But to then sample him close up and watch him on the training pitch, we were talking about this the other day when I was talking to Tom Clark again, that you were doing one-on-ones that you'd do in training and, and he, all the defenders did not want to get up against him <laughs> because he would, he would embarrass them. Ben yeah. Pearson was the best example. Ben Pearson had that, this determination. He says, right, Keats, you are not going to get past me because Pero would sort of back himself being a defensive midfield player. He, he, he wouldn't let anybody past him. I always remember the first time they did the one-on-ones, Geeds went past him and Pearson was left on his ass, and Geeds went through and scored and and he did it more times than not and as we pre- as he proved that season he was he was an unbelievable talented player wasn't he yeah he was yeah he was very very good for us did you did you go back in and try and get him at the end of that deal there was yeah there was talk that we wanted to try and do the deal as well but he had another year left on his contract at Everton yeah. and. Um, and it was one of them. It was going to be last minute again, basically, whether Everton would let um, him out so cheap. Yeah. Uh, well, they weren't going to let him out as cheap as we had him for the previous season. Yeah, yeah. But also, was there going to be other suitors that were going to take him from potentially higher in the Championship at that moment in time? Because he'd done ever so well in the Championship. Mm. People were looking at him and thinking he might be the difference between um, not being in the Championship and getting into the Premier League, and that's yeah. what we were competing at at the time. And um, and ultimately, um, it never started um, because it was too early in the summer to to try and get the deal done. Yeah, um, was there any players that you, that you tried to sign or wanted to sign that never came off for whatever reason? I think a few that I'd read about over the years, uh, Lewis Graben, I think, was in the LEP, and then obviously there was the Sam Johnston deal as well. Um, I don't really remember too much about trying to get Rabin, to be fair. Look, Sam Johnson was certainly one that we wanted to sign that summer because of how well he'd done for us. We wanted to keep him on, wanted to get him on another year's loan, um, but Manchester United wanted to keep him round. And it didn't quite happen for Sam because he was as frustrated as anybody. He was a third-choice keeper at United at the time. But they, yeah. they held all the aces. We couldn't do it. Um, and... Uh, so there wasn't too many, really. No, you, yeah, we 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 knew exactly where we were working with the budget that we we were yeah. up against. Really, um, what what happened with Robbie Keane? Was there anything in that? I knew Robbie and knew and Peter knew him as well, um, and he was coming coming back from America, I think, and um, and we somehow it crossed in conversation through somebody or whatever. Probably more so from Peter to start with, and I yeah. started talking to Robbie. So there was a lot of talks between us all about maybe him coming to play for us. It was just probably ended up being too expensive and too rich for us at that moment in yeah, time yeah. where we were club. So uh, yeah, it, but it was look if it happened, it might have been successful. It might not have been. Who knows? When uh, just one of them, and yeah, it, look, he's a fantastic had a fantastic career. Whether it would have worked or not, who knows? Um, but he certainly. Uh, We'll put some bums on the seats. Yeah. Um, what what ended up happening with with Josh Brownhill and, and Bailey Wright? Obviously, they both ended up leaving. Was was that more of, of from their point of view in terms of them wanting to go on and sort of have a different challenge, so to speak? Yeah, I think I think there were different circumstances. Really, was that Josh had broke into the team. Yeah. Um, and and did really well, and then we just that promotion winning year. We had Kilkenny had come in, DJ had come in, Galley was there, 
um, and then and I think then Ben Pearson joined actually after the following year. So basically, Josh had gone down the pecking order, but it's only because of the level of the quality of, that we had yeah. on the books. And, and we we were trying to do him on a new deal. And, and we probably slipped up, really, that we allowed him to go out for his own benefit to get some games to Barnsley when really we should have made sure that he signed a contract before he'd gone out. Yeah. And then ultimately, we we didn't think that he would leave as that summer. We thought he'd still stay with us, stay with us, but enjoyed his time with Lee Johnson, who had then gone to Bristol City, um, and um, obviously went on to to do really well. And now in the Premier League, so we, yeah. it wasn't as if we didn't rate Josh without a shadow of doubt. We we wanted him to do well. We slipped up really as a football club that, for his own benefit, we let him go out on loan for some game time without sealing him on long-term contract. Yeah, yeah. Bailey was another situation where we tried to do a deal and again, I think he left on a free transfer just because of um, no, maybe did it his compensation or a transfer fee? Um, you might know better than me, I can't remember. I to think it was compensation. Yeah, I think he'll have been under 24 then, wasn't he? And, yeah. And, and was out of contract. So, again, we wanted him to stay. He just thought that there was going to be maybe a better opportunity at Bristol City, maybe earn more money. Um, and and these things happen. Yeah. I think when people talk about players leaving football clubs um, on free transfers or whatever, you've always got to remember that every football club brings in players on free transfers and makes money out of them as well. I think some yeah. great examples of been at Preston that Greg came in on a free and went for three, four million. Jordan Hugo was twenty grand, went for nine million and yeah. Callum two hundred grand was five, six million. So you're always you're always getting some deal somewhere and you're always going to be the, the loser as well in another respect. Yeah. Just just on those three players, uh, no, sorry, on Jordan Hugo, Callum Robinson and, and Ben Pearson, for me I think in, in their positions they're they're up there as some of the best players in the championship, if not the best. Um, do you think there's there's maybe an element from North End fans that players like, maybe not so much Ben Pearson, but players like Callum Robinson and Jordan Hugo are, are a little bit underrated or were until until they left? I think, I think when you look at, I mentioned it earlier, when you look at that group of players that we had in the second year in, in the championship, there was some really, really talented players to like, you mentioned the ones there, but Tom Barkerson came in for 100 grand and has been an outstanding campaigner for Preston in, mm-hmm. in the championship since he's been there and and, and other players as well. Um, so I think the problem that you sometimes have is that, you, I wouldn't say they were underrated, I don't think they're ever underrated by the, the players that they were playing with or the supporters that watched them week in and week out. It was probably the, the nature of for a club like Preston at the time, didn't get the profile that some of the other clubs got. Mm. Never on probably that often on on live Sky games. Not not many times on the main show on Quest that people were talking about yeah, or yeah. whatever show it was at that particular night. And I've always been a little bit under the radar with stuff, and and that's maybe why players are looked upon from the outside. That God, why how's Jordan Newell gone for nine million? Well, one is a good player. Two is a great lad. And three, somebody else within the football industry has done a lot of homework and research on these types of players that they think that they're going to go and get a good player. And, yeah. and that's what can happen. It So you can't influence how the media control the publicity your football club gets. All you do is keep working and try and be as best as you can. 
Yeah. Um, how, how was Peter to work with? Obviously, you've mentioned that you knew him from from earlier on in your career. Do you think that helped? Well, just do you think him being at North End helped you in any way? Yeah, I, th- I certainly do. Um, he was he was really hard working. We knew exactly how each other worked. We knew we not we didn't always get on and agree with stuff because that's never going to be the case. And when yeah. you're there, yeah, is that is that certainly never going to be the case. But we knew exactly what made both of us tick. Yeah, and he was he was he was very loyal, and I was loyal to Peter in terms of I had opportunities to go to other clubs, and when people tried to take me there, I spoke to him openly about it. And but also, when we were going through some tough times that January that I mentioned in League One, yeah. when, when it wasn't sort of a great time as such, that Peter said, "Look, keep doing what you're doing. We trust you 100, percent and we'll back you. And you're here for the long term, like we all are at this football club." So yeah. he had a lot of trust in me, and I had a lot of trust in him, and um, that was the, the beauty of our relationship. And we still speak quite openly and often as, at this moment in time as well. So. Um, Peter has, has been great for Preston North End. He knows how to, to manage people above, which is important. He never really, I never spoke to Mr. Emmons too often in terms of on the telephone. I'd, I'd see him at games, I'd see him at the races, or, or he'd pop to the training ground and stuff like that. But really, the person that I dealt with daily was Peter, and we had a real good relationship. So, obviously, you, you mentioned there there was, there was times where other clubs came in for you. How did the, the move to Sunderland come about? There'd been talk about maybe Sunderland maybe making an approach for me and it was all strange timing of it that there was a takeover going up over there. But I, I just got on with my work, well, do my pr- preparation for the pre-season stuff and then the first day back for that third campaign in the Championship, sort of club got a call from Sunderland um, asking for permission to speak to me and... Um, Obviously, it was it was it was a decision that I took, but it wasn't a decision that I took lightly without a shadow of a doubt. And I've yeah. said it many many times that if I could have taken that group of players with me, and that would be, I didn't want to do that. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this long. But if I could have swapped that group of players that I had at Preston to Sunderland, then I would have thought I would have had a fantastic opportunity of getting um, Sunderland back into the Premier League and. And, and the, as I said, the part of call for me, the reason for going was that Sunderland would just be relegated from the Premier League. And I just yeah. felt that I maybe had a better opportunity of trying to do that, um, getting to work in the Premier League with Sunderland, who were getting big gates, better facilities, bigger budgets, etc. But also, I knew it was a risk as well, because I knew I was leaving behind an unbelievable group of players, yeah. an unbelievable talented group of players, fantastic staff, some, some fantastic supporters and the relationship that I had with the supporters was was there for everybody to see. We got yeah. on really well and that it was a real, real tough decision and it wasn't one that I took lightly and ultimately I, I made that decision because I, sometimes you go with a gut feeling you're thinking yeah. this is the right thing to do and hindsight is a, is a, a wonderful amazing thing. thing for everybody. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I think... People say, do I regret, do you ever regret going? I regret how it worked out that I wasn't there long enough to implement how I wanted a football club to be. But I'm never one for having regrets about anything because you can have a regret by not doing something. If I'd not taken that opportunity and whoever they appointed as a manager had gone in and got Sunderland promoted, I'd have been thinking, 
that could have been me. Yeah. And I could, that might have been the regret that I would have had. But yeah. hindsight, it didn't work out and I learned from the experience. But certainly, um, um, it certainly um, wasn't an easy decision. And and it was it was really tough coming back with Sutherland when we played played each other and, and I think you'll notice I didn't celebrate any of the goals at yeah. that particular time. Maybe Mr McGeady did, but I said <laughs> <laughs> What what did you have to say to him after that? Anything or just I I, I just said what what was all that about? You like what what's gone wrong? We've all had a bit of crack because I know that um someone went one nil up and then two one down we did and there's a bit of stick Jordan Hugo scored a, a pretty decent goal, didn't he? Pretty decent. He's never hit a left foot shot like that ever <laughs> before that, and he'll never ever do it again. And we scored like that, and that was one of the most disappointing things that somebody like him scored a goal, an absolute worldie. <laughs> anyway, um, and obviously there's a bit of lightheartedness that when Sunderland went two one down, that I was getting sacked in the morning, but then two two, and I, I was a little bit rattled, and I thought, I'll do a celebrate, and I thought, not a chance. Of doing this and, and it was nice that it ended up being a draw and I just said to Giggs after the game what where did that come from and he said well somebody had wrote something in the press this that and the other and I said well I, I never read that I didn't see anything like that the lead up to the game or he'd said something in the press which had then transmitted the wrong way to the Preston fans or whatever I, I can't honestly remember what yeah. it was and, and I was just so surprised that he did what he did <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Giggs run so far, so quick, because he was never great for doing sort of fitness work anyway. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I mean, obviously, got I got got my back up a little bit when it happened, but looking back at it, I think it's just funny. It's just funny. Yeah. yeah. So, on on North End then, do you think if, if Sunderland hadn't have happened and you'd have stayed, do you think you'd have been able to take that group onto maybe the playoffs, the top top six, top two? Or do you think you've maybe sort of come to a point where perhaps that season might have been your last anyway if you'd have stayed? Or um, look, who knows how it's going to work out? But what, but all I do, what I do know is that me and Peter tried to improve the team in every window. So yeah, and you change, and you change your philosophies and ideas as well. That we knew in the first two years in the championship that. We our first part of call was to make sure that we don't get relegated, that we're going to be hard to beat, we're going to be organised, we'll have some match winners that can get us goals from somewhere at times to win us games, and then probably overachieve by finishing 11th and 11th, yeah. given the budget that we're on. But yeah, yeah. that was the first part of call, was to make sure that we don't yo-yo between the divisions. It's taken Preston long enough to get to, to the Championship, let's make sure we don't give up on it quickly. Yeah. So the, the, the frame of the team was hard to beat because you're playing against top, top players, players who played in the Premier League. It was a different standard. It was a massive jump up for us as as individuals, for the players, but as a group as well and as a football yeah. club. So that was where we were going. But we knew that we were building something with each window that we've talked about. And then, as we mentioned, people like Barkerson was coming in and then other players, just trying to think of else. We'd then, that summer, I did leave. We'd signed Josh Arrett, we'd signed Declan Rudd. Um, and there was other lads as well in that previous window that we'd been doing. And then, and then what you're doing is, once you get a little bit more settled in a division, you can then adapt your philosophy and your ideas a little mm. bit. That We would probably try and be a little bit more open and, and take the game to the opposition more And because and, and, we had better players. You can't yeah. try and play a certain way 
if you don't feel you've got a group of players to go and do it. We, yeah. we, we based a lot of our success on hard work and the shaping of the organisation, but then you can change your ideas and philosophies from being maybe slightly defensive because you didn't have the group of players to go and take the game to the opposition to then all of a sudden, two years after being in the Championship, you do feel you've got players that can hurt them at the top end of the pitch to go and show them strength. Yeah. So, just just got a few questions. Just quick fire ones and then, and then if, well, if you're good for that, we're, we're, we're good to go. Um, so, what, what was your best moment from your time at North End? The, look, I think... I think everybody obviously will know think that it's a player final and obviously without a shadow of a doubt. But I just think the first leg against Chesterfield was the make or break for, for the players that might have disappeared, left the football club. I would have thought I would have stayed on, but who knows what would have happened there. I just thought it was a real proud moment that the players had responded to such a, a, a tough experience of losing like we did on that Sunday to then go against them quickly on the Thursday, yeah. carry out what we expected to do, uh, sorry, what I wanted them to do. So I think that was that first leg was there, coupled with the player final that the players had then carried out everything that I wanted them to do in our preparation to not taking any pictures on the and um, putting them on social media two days before when we went to Wembley to, the, to everything that I asked them to do, they did, yeah. which ultimately the success. Um, who was the best player you managed in your time at North End? Just one. Oh, God. It's so hard, this, because you've got different types of players. I would say, you could say McGeady, the most talented player. Beckford yeah. for, for his goals. Joe Garner for his work rate. Galley for his delivery. Tom Clark for heading, heading things when the boots are flying around, running through a brick wall. John Wells tackling every everything that moved. Hunts. <laughs> Scoring number of goals in a playoff in, in in that season that we got promoted and another lad. So it's it's really difficult to say that. I would, but I, I would have to probably say probably Jermaine based on the impact that he made. Yeah, from that January coming into to getting promoted was a yeah. massive part. Just 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 one that's quickly come to me. Just on Jermaine, how close was he to actually just sacking football off with that ear infection? Uh, look, I think it was tough for him because he he was trying to get to the to the bottom of it all. I mean, it yeah. was frustrating for him as well. So uh, yeah, I think people and players question themselves what they're going to do at that particular time when they can't find a uh, an answer to a to a problem. Um, if you could go back and give yourself some advice from your time at North End, what would it be? Don't go to Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, a bit of advice I'll give myself. Uh, I don't know. Maybe get my hair cut a little bit quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a shock when you came when you came back with none on your head. Yeah, well, it was, I did it for a charity, but it needed doing anyway, so uh, <laughs> it, it got done. <laughs> um, have you got any any stories or any memories that that you can share? Obviously, from from your time at North End, that that aren't um, sort of common knowledge or. Well, it was funny because the play, we used to have a fine system with the players and um, and as you drive into Springfields and we'd always sort of, the doors would be always open seeing who was coming through last. Sometimes players would try and sneak around the back and snods and would always be around the dressing room and other staff around about half past nine when the players were due in and see them coming in. But there was, a, there was a, like a big lamppost and it had like a, um, 
it's as if it was a security um, camera. Um, camera on top of it. So lads would come in and say, um, I'd say you're 10 minutes too late today, that's X amount of pounds. They'd go, one they'd argue. I said, do you want it on camera? He says, how do you know it's on that? You haven't got it on camera. I says, what do you think that is at the end of the gate? Right. So anyway, they'd ultimately then agree that they'd have to pay for the, the fine, which would go back into their pot for other yeah, things yeah. like Christmas Day or but, but it wasn't until I'd probably left and I was speaking to players about it and they would say, Gaffer, did you really have cameras in your room and that? I went, seriously, have you seen the state of that lamppost? It used to be the security guard sat in his car that he'd write down every day who was late in and give us the note and then we'd be able to do you later on. So <laughs> good lads in terms of, they would always accept the the, uh, the banter and, and yeah. Um, them. Um, Cowley was always good. The kit man, he was like thick as anything. Who would uh, do anything? Preston Daft. I would. He, when he first got to know him, he would come and deliver all the water in his van, and he would get in his van and I nick his keys and I'd just lock him in the boot of his of his van and just <laughs> lock all the doors and leave him in there. And you just hear him banging on it like, "Have to let us out, let us out." <laughs> And he would he was dressed as a tramp like he still does now to his third degree, and that's probably doing a disservice to tramps. And he'd, he'd, <laughs> he'd sometimes walk in, and he'd have like this big bundle round by his ankle. And at first, we all thought it was like he was being tagged by the police. Anyway, I said to him one day, "What's down your sock?" He says, "Oh, that's just where all my money's kept." He must have had a grand in his sock, <laughs> so we just we'd lie him down sometimes and just nick all his money out and give it back to him. Obviously, yeah, yeah. but but he was uh, he was. He, he bought um, a lot of the uh, the jokes from all the lads. Great character. Um, last one then from from players that you've managed in your whole managerial career. If you could put a five a side team together, who would be in it? God, you're not giving me much notice on this one, by the way, aren't you? <laughs> um, in all the clubs or just my Preston teams? Um, Let's let's keep it North End out. I would have said all the clubs, but you've had quite a few, so let's just keep it's it North End. Not as if I've had two clubs. I've had too many clubs. Um, uh, God, goalkeeper to start with. We've had some real good goalkeepers while mm-hmm. I've been there. So Sam Pickford, obviously, would say, because he's gone on to play for England, would have to get that job. But Declan, again, has done really well. Chris Maxwell. We, I've had, we had some real good goalkeepers while I was there, and that's credit to... To Kells, would he work with them? Um, Tom Clark would certainly have to be in there. Um, God, I'm going to, for better friends, I'm going to piss a few of the players off. <laughs> I'm good friends with Dylan who speak to me now. So uh, let me do the easy ones. We'll do Pickford, we'll do Tom Clark, I'll do Jermaine, that's three. And I've got to get the balance of the group then, haven't I? So I need a midfield player and maybe another attacking player, five aside. So I'll have to give it to probably the the man with the most loan appearances before he signed permanently. So I think Galley's been a fantastic servant for the club. And then, oh God, probably just to get the balance right so we could get the goals, I'd have to put Garns up alongside Jermaine. So we've got, yeah, it's not it's not a bad bad team. It's very attractive. Yeah, well, knowing Pickford as I do, he'd join in as well. So he'd be yeah. out, like floating outfield player as well. So we wouldn't bother with a keeper really. We'd just play sort of five outfield players because he used to love dribbling out of his own box while well, he still does this to this day and age. Yeah, now he's yeah. in the Premier. What, what so was he like to manage, Jordan? Was he, was he a good he was, lad? He was good. Yeah. Fantastic work ethic. 
knew very quickly that he was going to be a top top goalkeeper. Um, bit bit mad what all goalkeepers are. Yeah. So I think he's learned a lot in terms of don't go looking for things when he got a little bit bored to try and make things happen. And he still does that probably now a little bit too often. Um, but yeah, fantastic goalkeeper. Um, but going back to that five-a-side team, I'd just like to say sorry to all the players that I didn't include in that five-a-side <laughs> Yeah, I think unless you've got anything else you want to say or anything you want to add, um, we, no, can, no, we can wrap no, it up. Um, yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed it. Um, hopefully it's going to be a football gets back to being played sooner than later once everybody's got safe and yeah. and hopefully Preston can maintain that playoff position and then who knows what can happen. It's... Uh, Credit to Alex, he's done really well, continued what we've done, improved the squad, Peter as well. So it's, um, it's great to see the club still doing so well and going so strong. So uh, hopefully everybody stays safe, stays strong and uh, see what the rest of the season brings to everybody. Yeah, cool. Right, thank you very much for that, Simon. I really appreciate it. No worries. <laughs>